So we're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. And the first week we looked at Paul reminding the church in Ephesus and reminding us of a couple really important things. That we are blessed, we are chosen, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, and not just kind of. God actually lavishes those things on us. And then he went, he, he went on to say three really important things that I continually pray. And that would be that you know God. Not about Him. You know Him relationally. That we would have hope in our inheritance and expectation. And with that expectation would be that we would have a life marked by the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about grace. One of my favorite subjects. Grace. The ultimate leveler. The ultimate unifier. And the fact that God's grace is available to everyone. I cannot stress that point stronger. The the availability of God's grace does not depend on us. The availability of God's grace depends on Him. Do you guys get that? Did you get it last week? Are you getting it again today? So why don't we see more of God's grace in our life? It's because we're not accepting it. We're not reaching out and taking it. It's available to us. All of us. And God's grace brings about peace. God's grace takes us and them and makes it we. This week we get to one of my favorite chapters of one of my favorite books in the Bible. You guys probably think that's fun. I probably say that all the time, don't I? Uh, this here, this is my favorite part. Well, no, this really is one of my favorite <laughs> chapters of my favorite books of the Bible, Ephesians chapter 3. One of the reasons why it is one of my favorite is because I believe it contains one of the most powerful prayers in all of Scripture. If you've known me long enough, if you've been around me long enough, I can promise you I have prayed this prayer over you. I could ask for a show of hands, and I bet there'd be a bunch of hands go up that I've actually prayed this prayer over you. Because this is a powerful prayer. This is a prayer that Paul prayed over the church at Ephesus that I believe he was praying over the bride for generations, for centuries, for today. So a little groundwork before we get to the prayer. Paul was talking about new life in Christ. He's talking about God's great love for us and His willingness to come uh, to us even while we are sinners He was explaining that through Jesus we can all be heirs and that we are God's workmanship. We talked about that last week. No longer foreigners, adopted sons and daughters, different parts of one body. Paul then goes on to talk about his personal calling to preach to the Gentiles. And I love the way Paul puts this at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 3. I tell you guys, I get excited when I read something and and it clicks with me that it didn't click before. And I've kind of, this first verse of Ephesians chapter 3 has kind of clicked with me before. I've thought about it. But this week it really hit home. Look at what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, those of you who have been here for a couple weeks... Who was Paul a prisoner of right now when he wrote this? Rome. 
There, there are accounts that say at night, Paul was actually chained to a Roman soldier so that he wouldn't get away. Paul says, I, Paul, a prisoner of who? Christ. You see, we have to understand something about a prisoner and those who are in control of him. We have to understand a little bit about that association. Why didn't Paul say here, I, Paul, a prisoner of Rome? A prisoner does whatever its captor says. He's totally under the control and authority of the person who has captured him. Paul is establishing right here in this verse who calls the shots in his life. Sure, he's in a Roman Roman prison, but he submits to Jesus. This is powerful. Paul has chosen to be under the authority of Jesus. He recognizes there is a much higher authority than this earthly authority called the Roman government. This is important for us. How often do we feel like we're under someone else's authority? How often do we willingly submit to an authority other than Jesus? Paul has already decided, I will follow Jesus. I know who I serve. I know who I submit to, and I need to make it known here. I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. I love, I love how he sets that straight right at the beginning. Let's go on. If we look at, at verses 10 and 11, we see uh, what God's intent here is. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Time and time again you'll hear me talk about this. God's plan, God's purpose calls for God's wisdom, his heart, his plans to be revealed to the world through followers of Jesus. Us. Think about that for a moment. Do we honestly believe that the creator of the universe needs our help? (laughs) No. But this is one more time where we see the relational aspects of God. He wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants us to be in a relationship with one another. This all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everywhere-at-once God says, I'm going to reveal my wisdom, I'm going to reveal my love and my grace to the world through humans. This, to me, is a great responsibility. Think about the responsibility that we have as Christians. Think about that the next time someone ticks you off and pulls out in front of you, and you're tempted to, you know, tell them what you think (sighs) in so many ways. This is a responsibility. God reveals himself to the world through us, which also means we can mess up that testimony. We need to be listening. We need to be in line. We need to be submitting. We need to be living a life that says, I, the prisoner of Christ. Steve, the prisoner of Christ. Does that mean we get it right every time? No. But that needs to be our hearts. It needs to be the direction we want to be. So God has chosen us to be part of the revelation. And now we get to the prayer. Pardon my excitement. But I love, love, love this prayer. 
Absolutely love this prayer. Let's look at it. Verses 14 and 15. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. Now listen, you've heard me say this before. The position of the body is not important when we pray. We don't have to have our head bowed at just the right angle. We don't have to have our our hands crossed, left over right, not right over left, because that just feels weird, right? We don't have to be, you know, the right look of anguish on our face when we're praying. There isn't a formula when we pray. It doesn't make our prayers more effective. It doesn't somehow guarantee that God's going to hear us and do what we want if we have the right body position. But if we look at the original Greek here in this verse, this word kneel means to bend one's knee. Now that sounds kind of simplistic, but if we understand the culture at this time when it was written, we would understand that when there was someone of great power present, when there was a member of royalty present, a bent knee was a physical expression of total submission. Paul was bending his knee saying, God, I submit to you. It was an outward expression, a physical thing that he did to show us the inward condition of his heart. He submitted everything to God. He bowed in humbleness. He lived a bent knee kind of life for God. Think about the times we pray. Sometimes we pray in celebration. We stand, we shout, we proclaim. But there are times when we pray earnestly. There are times when we have a particularly heavy heavy need in our life. How do we pray then? I don't know about you guys, but there are times when there's something really, really heavy on my heart. And I go to prayer. And I reach a point where I'm saying, you know what? I've got to be on my knees. You know what? I've got to be on my face. There are times when there's an earnest prayer where standing up and walking around doesn't cut it. I've got to be on my face before my Lord because I'm submitted to Him. I'm praying with everything that I have. I'm saying, God, I want you desperately to act, to act on this. I need you. God, if you don't show up, this isn't going to happen. So Paul, God on his knees. And here's why this is important, I believe. Because what Paul was about to pray, he desperately wanted God to do. He's saying, God, you know what? I pray about all kinds of things, but the thing I'm about to pray, this has got to happen, God. This has got to happen. And then we get to the prayer. Let's go through it. Verse 16, Paul says this, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. The first thing Paul says is, God, out of your glorious riches. I'm going to ask you for some specific things, but I'm saying I acknowledge from the very beginning, you're the source. What I'm going to ask for when it gets answered comes from nobody else, comes from no other source. It comes from you out of your glorious riches. You see, what he's going to ask for here, we have to understand, we don't get those things through our grit, will, and determination. 
we don't get these things because we live better or we, we live a certain way or we come to church every Sunday or, or we fill in the blank. We get these things because of God's glorious riches. He's the source. They come from Him and Him alone. The requests that are about to come, Paul is saying, is coming out of God's grace and God's mercy alone. What's he pray for? At verse 16, he prays for this. He, he may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. How often do we feel powerless? How often do we look at the world around us and go, man, I can't change anything? How often do we look at our own lives and say, I can't change anything? This is a hopeless situation. I can't catch a break. The whole world is against me. I just want to quit. How often do we look at the news and go, holy cow, evil's winning? Look at all the evil that's going on in the world. The church is getting crushed. Nah. I don't think so. Paul says this. I want you to be I want them to be strengthened in our inner being. You see this kind of strength that he's praying for right here isn't superficial. It's not pretending I'm strong. It's not putting on a strong front so that everybody thinks I'm strong. He is saying, I want them to be strong in their inner being, deep down strength. Strength that doesn't get rocked when the going gets tough. You've met people like that, haven't you? How many of you have met, met someone that's like really strong in character? Yeah, the, the world might be like high seas all around them, big waves, and they're just smooth as could be. I can promise you they've got God's inner strength. Deep down, that makes a difference. Those who have it live life one way. Those who do not live life entirely different. Paul prayed for that strength for us. And what's the source of it? Power through what? God's Holy Spirit. The power here If you look at this word power, it's the Greek word dunamis. It's the word that we get dynamite from. What is dynamite? Dynamite is explosive, right? Paul was saying, I want these folks at the church of Ephesus and for us generations later to have dynamic power, life-changing power, a power that cannot be contained. He wants us to have explosive power. One that changes things around us. Why do we need that? Why do we need that kind of power? Remember the reason Paul is praying here in the first place? It's so that we can reveal the heart of God to mankind. To be God's witnesses. To share His gospel. Look, how many times do we see an opportunity to share about God and we don't do it? I bet every one of us in this room could put our hands up and go, Yep, I've been there. I've chickened out. I've not shared God with somebody when I should have. Sharing our faith can be intimidating sometimes. But Paul is on his knees here asking for supernatural Holy Spirit power. A power that makes us bold. A power that gives us courage. A power to take a stand and proclaim the truth. Yes, the power to heal, to cast out demons. The power to prophesy to discern. Paul knew he needed it. Paul knows we need it. 
And so he prayed for it. Let's keep going. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, and he goes on. But there's some words here that he's praying that's really important. Three really important words in this verse. Dwell, rooted, and established. These are really important things. The English word dwell here actually comes from two words in the original Greek. There's a word that means down and a word that means house. And what it literally means is to settle down and feel at home. (laughs) Settle down and feel at home. Paul is praying, God, give them a heart where Jesus feels at home. Where we feel completely at home when he's part of us. Not just a guest. Not just somebody passing through. Temporary. No. Dwell. A permanent residence. A permanent part of my house. That's what he's asking for. Rooted. A true tree needs roots down deep into the soil. They receive nutrients for their needs. They withstand strong winds and storms. It's kept in place firmly through anything. Paul's asking us to have deep roots. Established. This is a cool word in the Greek. It refers to the foundation or structure of the building. Barrett, what happens if you have a not-so-good foundation? Things move and settle. How many of you um, are familiar with the little strip mall up on, up on Radio Hill there where the Pizza Hut is? You noticed here like two years ago or whatever, they cut part of that building off. You know why? Because they built that building on a landfill with the ground all settled. And my understanding is it cracked the walls, it cracked the floor, it cracked all kinds of stuff. And they had to cut part of the building off. See, when we don't have a firm foundation and the ground moves underneath us, we crack like crazy. Water seeps in. Animals can get in. I mean, (laughs) take it out wherever you want to take that. It's important that we have a firm, solid foundation, a solid grounding in the truth, something firm that we can build everything else on. So that's what Paul is asking God to give us here. We need to be Rooted and established and built on what he's about to pray for. What's coming up next, he's saying, this this is what your foundation is, everyone. This is what you're digging your roots into, everyone. This is what you want dwelling in your heart, everyone. Here it comes. Verse 18, he continues on. He says that we may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. This word grasp means to comprehend. In other words, to wrap your brain around. How often do we use that expression? Well, it's hard to wrap my brain around. You know, three, God, three in one. I can't wrap my brain around that. Jesus, fully human, fully God. I can't wrap my brain around that. Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. Wait, how are you full of two different things completely? Can't wrap my brain around that, right? So we, we, we have things that we can't wrap our brain around. Sometimes they feel too big or too hard or too confusing. And quite honestly, there are times when we can't wrap our brain around the fact that God loves us with an unconditional love. We know ourselves. Why would anybody love me? 
I look at my wife and I say, you know, we've been married almost 30 years. She qualifies for sainthood. <laughs> no doubt in my mind. Why would someone love me? But Paul says, hey God, expand their thinking. Expand their ability to comprehend. Open up their minds so that they can totally grasp this. God, this is important enough. They need to be able to wrap their heads around it. God, your love is so wide. It's so long. It's so high. It's so deep. that We need your help wrapping our brains around that. Do what you have to do so that we get it. Not just understand it, but we comprehend it. We get it. First part of verse 19 goes on to say this, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Do you realize it's one thing to know something? And it's another thing to know something. You guys know the difference? You see the difference? You see, we can intellectually know that God loves us. We can intellectually know that God is there for us. That He knows what's best for us. We can know these things in our heads. But Paul here is saying, I want them to know it in their hearts. I want them to know that they know. Have you ever known something to be true even though you didn't actually have like the facts? You couldn't just line it up and explain one, one plus two equals three. If you can't, don't have all the facts, something tangible that you can put your hands on, but without a doubt you knew it to be true. Have you ever experienced something like that? Two of you have. Paul's talking about love that we know in our hearts. Love that we experience in our lives. Knowing that we know we are loved. Paul goes on. And I love it. This prayer keeps getting better. He doesn't just, doesn't just ask God that we know it, that we comprehend it. He goes on here in the last part of that verse and says this that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Filled. Fullness. That word actually means to be overflowing. God wants to fill our lives with love. He wants to pour Himself into us. He wants His love to be the only thing in our cup. Right now my cup has a third of cold coffee. And what else? A whole bunch of air. God wants our cups to be filled completely to overflowing with His love. Nothing else in there. No fear, no shame, no selfish desires, no brokenness, no pride, just love. Now, let me finish this with something super important. Poke your neighbor and make sure they're awake. Say, uh, if you haven't been listening up till now, you need to listen. Imagine for a moment the most impossible thing you can think of. Maybe it's the most impossible situation in your life right now. You're looking at something and you're going, that'll never change. 
There's no way I can change. I've tried to change. I've tried to do this for years. But this situation is impossible. Hopeless. Never going to change. Got something in your mind? Let's go on. Verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Come on. God is able to do immeasurably more. We can't measure what God can do. In fact, Paul says we can't even imagine what God can do. This gets me excited. You see, I serve a limitless God. Every time I look at my life, I see limits. I see, uh, Steve can only do. But God wants to fill me up with his limitlessness. He wants me to live a life as though he is my entire source. And if he is my entire source, then there's nothing limited in my life. Talk about hard time wrapping our brains around something. But you know what? That's not my idea. It's in the book. God has immeasurable power beyond what we can imagine. Paul wants us to grasp this. He wants us to know it. If we go on with this verse, to Him be the glory. Why is all this? To bring glory to God. To reveal Himself to mankind. Through who? The church. Through us, the bride. To every generation. Can you imagine what would happen in the world if the bride was living this way? 24-7. That's what Paul's praying for us. That's why I pray this prayer over us, over friends, over people here at the church, people I know, because I understand how important it is for us to grasp God's love for us. I like to ask the question, when you get spilled out on the world or on people around you, What spills out on them? If you have a heart filled with fear, what spills out on them? If you have a life filled with shame, what gets spilled out on them? If you have a life filled with anger, depression, bitterness, and you get jostled a little bit, what spills out on the people around you? That's not God's intention for our lives. It's not at all. God's intention is for us to get, when we get jostled, some of his love gets on people. Trick-or-treat night. I didn't name the name of Jesus once, out loud. But I guarantee you, people got love of Jesus spilled on them. 
what God wants for us, folks. Number one, he wants us to be whole and complete. Number two, he wants us to be his witness in the world. So I ask, when you get bumped, what do you spill on the world? Ponder that question. So let's pray. For this reason, Father, I kneel before you. And I pray that out of your glorious riches, that you will strengthen all who are here today with power through your Spirit in their inner beings, Lord, so that Christ will dwell in their hearts through faith. And I pray that each one of them will understand that they are rooted and established in love. Lord, I pray that we, us, the spring, those of us who are here today, we would have the power together with all the saints to fully grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And I pray that that love, we would know it, that it surpasses the knowledge that was within us and that we are filled to a measure of all fullness, God. And we acknowledge that you are able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine according to your power, Lord, that is at work within each one of us. God, we give you the glory. This church gives you the glory. Glory to you, Father. Glory to you, Jesus. We worship you. I pray that generation after generation of members of Springers forevermore worship you, glorify you with their lives. And Lord, may that love that is within us, that fills us, will get poured out on the world around us who desperately needs you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday. 